talk, big opinions, the panel. Right, okay, let's uh, get stuck into a panel uh, the day after an incredible victory, and both of these men absolutely love their cricket, Andrew Gordy and uh, Graham Beasley. And uh, Andrew Gordy, uh, what were you making of that as that unfolded yesterday? Morning, Smithy. Mainly, I was just thinking, what a birthday present for you that must have been, watching that unfold at <laughs> the Basin Reserve. Uh, happy birthday to you for yesterday. Um, uh, magic, wasn't it? Just a- absolutely magic. Like, uh, you know, I, I, I think I borrowed a, borrowed a phrase from, uh, from Martin Tyler watching that. Um, I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. Um, it was just brilliant, wasn't it? And, you know, I know... He's probably not listening, so we can probably say this, but, man, Brendan McCullum deserves a lot of credit, I think, for what we saw yesterday because, and I know we touched on this last week, um, but this just this, this whole change in mindset around the approach to test cricket, you know, you, you could call it aggressive and, and attacking, but it's just positive playing to win and playing for results. Results cricket is essentially what they're trying to play. And they absolutely played their part in that result yesterday. It, it did not, or that, that spectacle yesterday is what I should say. I know they didn't get the result, but I think they, they know, and Brendan knows, that if England play like that, the way they did, chasing victory um, on the final day, uh, they will win more games than they lose. They, they lost yesterday, but, you know, Smithy, how many times have we seen a team at 80 for five one nil up in the series on day five of the second test, just simply shut up shop and play for the draw and walk away with the series win. That's the sort of approach that has led test cricket to where it is now. And I say hats off to Brendan, hats off to England um, for the approach that they're bringing to test cricket. It's a, it's a pretty noble thing, I think, and pretty selfless. Um, if, they, if that's what they're doing to, to try and save Test cricket, I think what they delivered yesterday, along with the Black Caps, obviously, um, was, mm. was a tremendous advertisement for Test cricket. Yeah, it takes two to play ball uh, when you want to play Test cricket of that kind of fashion. Uh, but New Zealand did play their part, and uh, it's a good morning to uh, Graham Legbreak Beasley. That's his nickname, uh, of course, uh, big uh, cricket writer in terms of uh, sports freak. Uh, Graham, what did you make of it yesterday? You've seen a lot of test matches. I have seen a lot of test matches, and I was fortunate enough to be at all five days um, for that test match. And it takes a while to sort of calibrate things, but I can't think of a better test match that I've been to. Um, yeah, all the cliches about the ebbs and flows and, and the subplots, etc. in over five days. And, and yesterday, by my estimation, the, the advantage, if you like, who was in the better position, changed hands about nine times during the day. And in, in that last hour, would have changed about five times. Um, it, just, it just had absolutely everything. And um, really good to hear you talking to Tom Blundell before, because I think his, his impact yesterday was massive. Mm-hmm. He clearly put Ollie Pope off his game when Pope came in and um, uh, Bundle started to um, stand up to the stumps against the, against the fast bowlers and, you know, the bravery of that. I mean, just stand up to Neil Wagner. Um, yeah, that takes huge bravery. Um, the run out of Brook. If, if Bundle hadn't been already at the stumps, there was, uh, there was no run out of Brook and, uh, you know, and the whole game would be different. And then that catch to get rid of Jimmy Anderson, um, you know, that, that was... He had to travel a long way to get that, and um, uh, to seal the win like that, um, it just you know, it was it was a fantastic day. And the other player who should get a lot of credit is Matt Henry. 
because he basically had to be carried from the field before lunch. And then he comes back after lunch and bowls 10 over straight and takes one for 19. I mean, just the, just the bravery to do that. Um, I don't know what they injected him with, but, um, but yeah, that, that was a really <laughs> important facet of play. Yeah, big, some good stuff, whatever it was. Yeah, uh, Blundell continues to impress uh, Andrew. Um, what about Wagner? I've got to say, when I looked at Neil Wagner's speeds at the Bay Oval and at times at the Basin Reserve, I thought, is uh, that, that lion heart, is, uh, it, it will always be there, but are the legs and the lungs, et cetera, just, just starting to let him down? But then you put him in a situation like that, Neil Wagner, and you say, I've trusted you before. I've got to trust you again. It's you and me um, from Tim Southey's point of view. What about Wagner? Yeah, uh, look, Smithy, Wagner is obviously getting older, right? And physically, I think his, his best days are, are, are behind him. But that heart, like, show me another cricketer, show me arguably another sportsman who's got a heart like Neil Wagner. And, and I think yesterday clearly brought out the best of, in him, right? When, when, there's, when there's a sniff and, and there's, there's a chance of, of doing something amazing, but knowing how hard you're going to have to work for it, Neil Wagner's your guy. And Tim Southey knows that. And frankly, I mean, the entire team knows that. And I think that Wagner thrives off those situations. And, and we obviously saw that yesterday. Look, I mean, I think he'll probably look back on those, on the four wickets that he took in that second inning. Not, none of them are, uh, you know, they're, they're not sexy, are they? But they're effective. Mm. And, uh, mm. and he got the job done. And my goodness, like, yeah, I can't stress it enough, like, there's no one else you'd want in the trenches with you, is there? I mean, he, he just, he has everything about him, the, the heart, the passion, um, and just the work ethic, I suppose, to, to keep going. And, and you can see the way that the rest of the team just, just thrives off him as well. They feed off his energy, and that is, you know, that's just priceless when it comes to a final day when a test victory is in the offing, and, yeah, he, he really delivered yesterday. 10.31 here on SENZ We've got the panel with Andrew Gordy and Graham Beasley We'll be back, uh, we haven't finished with the cricket yet But we've got to take a news break uh, With Aroha The panel Andrew Gordy and uh, Graham Beasley with us uh, This morning, Graham Beasley Lucky enough to be at all five days of uh, The Basin Reserve Test Which puts you in a very good position to judge who you thought the the player of the match would be, Graham? They gave it to Kane Williamson on the back of the fact that they turned it round from a follow-on situation uh, to a win. Uh, but Joe Root must have been desperately unlucky. What a privilege to see two great players on show like that. Oh, yeah, yeah totally. Um, I mean, it's strange, isn't it? It's, it? it kind of is a rule that the player of the match has to go to someone from the winning team, which in a test match over five days... Um, is differentiated by only one run does does seem a bit hard. So, in terms of performance, um, uh, Root Root was the player of the match. Um, but in terms of coming from a New Zealand point of view, and I mean, I guess I touched on this before. I just thought it was Tom Blundell because I mean, he basically got as many runs as Williamson across the test anyway, and and just his performance yesterday. And as I say, you know, a big factor in three wickets, and I think he kept Root in check a bit too by standing up to him the whole time. Um, but people people don't recognise keepers' performances, do they, Smithy? Really? And you know, in terms of um, in terms of man of the match award. No, traditionally, uh, the the glove work is uh, overlooked. Uh, if a wicket keeper, you, you you get your likes of uh, your McCallums over the years, or you get your your Adam Gilchrist. It's generally for the batting aspect of it um, that they're thrown into the mix. But yeah, it's an interesting choice. Um, Good. So uh, 
Kane Williamson again. Now he's averaging, I think, around 69 post-captaincy. So it might not have been a bad move. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And, and look, uh, look, in terms of who should have been the man of the match, I mean... Yeah, you could you could pick any number really, couldn't you? From and like you say, from both sides. I, I didn't I didn't strongly disagree with Kane Williamson getting the man of the match. I thought his innings was um, was an outstanding one. It was it was really gritty, but it was just so timely. I think not not just for the team, but for the man himself. I mean, like you say, he's got a very healthy average, but you know he didn't have a great time in the first test, did he? And I and I think we all just sort of take for granted that Kane Williamson's going to score runs and, and going to score some decent runs and pretty much every time he walks out um, in a test match. It, and it hasn't necessarily always been, been the way for him recently. So I think both, like I say, for him and the team, it was a, it was a timely and an important innings. And, you know, could you say it was the, the difference between the two sides? I think you could make an argument for it. I mean, you know, without his runs, um, you know, New Zealand wouldn't have been in the position that, that they were in. And, and I think we could safely say that, uh, England would have won the Test match, but you know you could probably make that case for a, for a number of people in their performances uh, across the five days at the Basin Reserve. Um, I mean, going back to Neil Wagner, I mean, you know, if we're if we're talking about a man of the match, well, you'd certainly say he was the man of the day uh, on day five, and that was the decisive one. So yeah, look, just so many wonderful performances, and look, I wholeheartedly agree, Graham, with what you're saying about Tom Blundell. Um, that was a really uh, I don't want to say underrated, but I, there hasn't probably been enough said about the impact that he made when you've got when you've got a sniff of victory to make that decision to stand up to the stumps and just just keep that pressure on. You know, you've got to you've got to create pressure. You've got to build pressure. That's what Test cricket's really all about, isn't it? It's putting it's putting batsmen under pressure um, and seeing how they can cope with it. And I think he played a huge part, particularly in that in that first hour. Um, and like you say, the run out of Brook, which was which was a, I think it just a huge moment in the day, wasn't it? That was when, that was when it changed. The mood changed from there are charts here to, you know, this is a this is a, a moving from a possibility to a probability kind of thing. So there was a there was a big switch um, in the game, I think, in the atmosphere around the game at that moment. And yeah, he had a huge part to play in that. So fair play to him. Well, English cricket, Graham, goes back a long, long way, and uh, so does their relationship with the media. Um, in days gone by, England cricket teams who would have enforced the follow-on and gone over to gone on to lose a test match would have been lambasted by um, those people that uh, travel and follow them, uh, the scribes, as they say. Uh, I think these days, because of the type of cricket they're producing and their record, uh, they're a lot more patient with them. I, I understand the reaction wasn't too bad, Graham. No, it wasn't that bad. Um, I'll tell you what, though, they're going to make a lot about that possible wide in the penultimate ball of the game. Um, there's a lot of chat about which umpire was standing on what end at the time, and obviously, you know, they're sort of uh, mentioning Chris Gaffney, etc. So um, I think we can expect to hear a bit about that over the next few days. Um, they're also not happy, and this is the sort of thing that comes up in this country, they're not happy that Ben Stokes is going to the IPL. Um, given his injury concerns. And, you know, it was uh, yeah, another factor in this test match was that Stokes pretty much didn't bowl. Um, and so they've, they've, they've got Stokes' number a little bit, um, although he did redeem himself yesterday a bit by how he batted until that awful shot that he played to get out. Um, yeah, as, as for the follow-on thing, it could well be a long time. I mean, Australia stopped enforcing the follow-on after what happened in, um, 
um, in India in 2001, and it'll be interesting to see if England changes their approach as well, because another really important factor in this match, looking back over the whole game, was the opening partnership in the second inning, with Conway and Latham mm. putting on 150. You know, I don't think England expected that at all. You know, their, their whole gamble in terms of enforcing the follow-on was to rip the top off again, and that's why Anderson hadn't bowled before they enforced the follow-on that day, was so, so that he was fresh. Um, and then for Latham and Conway to bat like that, that was, that was when, certainly when the shift started. Right, Gord, here's um, a more pointed question. We can bask in the glory of it as long as we like, and we probably will, but here's the thing. The next Test match against Sri Lanka is just uh, nine days away. I just wonder whether Gary Stead and Gavin Larson rest on this or take this on or learn from it in terms of the makeup of their side, because uh, one thing's come out of this for me, and it was completely obvious yesterday, uh, we can't rely on Michael Bracewell as a spinner. He's a talented all-round cricketer. Uh, he's brilliant in the field. He can be explosive with the bat. But he ain't going to bowl sides out just yet, uh, particularly sides like Sri Lanka, who play spin pretty well. What do we do against Sri Lanka? Do we learn or do we just uh, bank on what we've got? Gords. Yeah, that's a really good question, Smithy. And, uh, and <laughs> I can't... I wish I could step into Gary Stead's mind because sometimes I just can't understand what, what he and Gavin Larson are thinking, to be perfectly honest. You're right about Michael Bracewell. I don't think he can be relied upon just yet. Um, I suppose the other factor in all of this, Smithy, is like for, for, for many, many years, um, this, this Black Caps test team and, and its success has been built on pace. And, you know, there's really been room for a for a a full-time spinner, I suppose, in a, in a New Zealand test lineup. Um, what, why aren't we going back to, to what we know works in our conditions? Um, perhaps it's because there's a lack of depth. Perhaps it's because they're not prepared to pick up the, the phone to Trent Bolt. And I know we've done that issue to death, so we w- probably don't need to turn over it again. But um, I think it will be really interesting to see whether they learn from it, whether they alter their selections, whether yeah, the makeup of the team changes that series because if, if they don't learn from that you've got to really start asking some serious questions don't you about what, why they do stick with certain players, certain selections I mean Henry Nichols is, is another isn't it um, that guy is just he's just so so badly out of form he, it's, and it's a shame because for a period there he was um, he was one of the standouts in this team uh, ever, ever reliable you know between him, Kane Williamson, Ross Taylor, Tom Latham they were they were the guys we looked to for runs. Um, they were standout performers in that, that team that made it all the way to winning a World Test Championship. But he's, he's off his game as well. So something needs to probably change there too. But yeah, uh, Michael Bracewell, I'd, I'd be surprised if, uh, if he was starting the next test. Okay, and uh, very quickly, Graham, what, what would you be doing with that New Zealand eleven? I'd certainly like to see Sodi play. Um, I think he bowled really well in Pakistan. Um, and although this shouldn't really come into the equation, the other thing about Sodi is that he can bat as well. So um, I'd, I'd like to see a leggy, you know, some, someone who spins it both ways come back into the equation. As for the middle order, gee, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I agree with Andrew about Nichols being a worry, but, I mean, he, he outscored Will Young in this piece of match. You know, Young had a couple of failures. Nichols got a couple mm. of 30s, which is the sort of thing that John Parker used to do when he was about to get dropped. But um, So it would be bold call to keep Young and drop Nichols after what's happened in this test. And then there's Glenn Phillips waiting in the wings. And I think he has the ability to be a test batsman. But he's just 
played in the Plunkett Shield game against Wellington. He's got a couple of fifties at a strike rate of 150 or something, and then got out in both innings. Now, it's pretty hard to elevate someone to the test match if that's what they're producing in first-class form. I mean, I would thought that someone of Ben Phillips' ability should be able to go to the Plunkett Shield and bat for four hours and score a big century. And I think that's what the selectors would be looking um, looking for from him. But um, just just at the moment, I, I don't think he seems to be in the right um, in the right mindset to um, to go and play test cricket. Graham Beasley and uh, Andrew Gordy have been with us uh, on this famous morning, uh, reflecting on a famous test match. So, uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for your time this morning as part of the panel, uh, and hopefully we'll have uh, another one tomorrow morning around about uh, twenty past ten. Thanks, gents. Have a great day.